Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. Welcome back to the Hard Thing Podcast. Darcy, thank you for joining me on the Hard Thing Podcast. Let's jump in with a question that I ask every single guest. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? Well, besides childbirth without drugs, <laughs> um, <laughs> which literally was really hard, uh, and doing an Ironman, that was really hard. I would unequivocally say that the hardest thing I've ever done was navigate when my husband of 10 years was arrested. Uh, well, I was blindsided and he was unexpectedly arrested for sexual assault of a minor he had met online. And it, uh, it turned into the biggest nightmare I've ever ever experienced. It wasn't even a nightmare, Justin, because I had never had a nightmare that was that horrible. Wow. Um, well, for those of you who are joining us, this is the Hard Thing Podcast. I'm here with Darcy Luoma. I'm your host, Justin Lewis. And essentially, the show is about unraveling the secrets of people like Darcy who have done incredibly hard things in a way that you and me, the average people of the world, can do those same hard things and learn how to do all the hard things of life. Uh, Darcy is a world-class motivational speaker, coach. She also has her own coaching business, uh, Darcy Luoma Coaching and Consulting. She also wrote the book Thoughtfully Fit. Um, and as you've heard, she's, she's done a lot of hard things. Um, one quick disclaimer, Darcy, I am not a super tactful person. So like you said before, if I ask a question that is incredibly stupid and crosses a line, you just let me know and I'll back off immediately. Um, uh, if it's okay, I'd like to dig into all three of those because um, <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I think those are very interesting. So to kind of paint the picture, I've recently been thinking of kind of this quadrant for hard things. And it's, it's a way that I like to use to kind of um, not grade, but, but categorize hard things because not all hard things are the same. And on one side, you have minimal choice and maximal choice. And on the bottom, you have short-term and long-term. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so you have these cross sections where different hard things fall into place and childbirth without drugs seems like short-term. And I would probably say in the, in the, in between minimal and maximal choice, because you have the choice to do it, but I'm guessing after a certain point, you don't Ironman, it's probably long-term maximal choice, but having your husband be arrested, that is probably minimal choice long-term. And so I think it's a nice, those are awesome things to dig into and, and really teach our listeners all sorts of things. So first thing, childbirth without drugs as, as a non-parent yet, um, I, I would like to ask your process with making this decision and, and really how you got through it. I love that. I mean, I sort of said it in jest and yet 
Oh my God, it was so hard. So I just try to live a very healthy life. I try to consume products that are all natural, that are, you know, have no chemicals or right, NGOs, all of that. So I want it, and I have no judgment for anybody who uses drugs, like, great, I'll more power to you. This was just a personal choice that I wanted to try to uh, do natural childbirth. And that was, um, something that I, I planned for. And I went to classes with my husband and prepared for, and yet in the moment, I mean, up until a certain point, I was like, yes, I got this. There be, there came a point where literally if my doula and my husband had walked out of the room at the same time, I would have said done. Like uh, that's it. I give me the drugs. As a matter of fact, one, at one point I did ask, like, is it possible? And they're like, it's too late. Like, even if you wanted it. And, and that was actually really helpful to hear because, wow, the pain was so intense. It was so incredibly intense. And it was a choice. And it literally was a choice that I made. And I think part of the reason that I was able to get through that short term pain was because I knew it was a choice. And it was something that I was really committed to. I think you said something super pivotal there that I don't think our listeners maybe caught. I hope they did. Um, you know, you said if your doula and your husband had both walked out of the room at the same time, you probably would have, um, I, I guess, caved is the, the vernacular yeah. that maybe yes. you could use. Um, but see, the listener, I hopefully, hopefully you realize that uh, that was not by accident. You know, you have your doula and your husband there. You, 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 I'm, I'm guessing you invited them to be there to help you and kind of give you some of the things you needed, not everything you needed, because obviously sometimes... You kind of got to, you know, do that yourself. Um, tying that to some of what you do in your in your coaching, how have you helped your clients bring in the right people into their delivery room? If if I can use that term, <laughs> it's a great metaphor. You, you're absolutely right. And the other thing that I that I did that I, I mean it, it goes without saying, but I'm going to underscore it is not only did I bring them in as part of my support system. I actively told them, this is my goal. And this, we created a birth plan and we communicated it to the nurses and doctors that I do not want drugs. So do not offer them. We will let you know. And I designed my alliance with my husband and my doula to say, I would like you to support me. And we talked about what would that look like if I felt like I was losing my, you know, um, my, my gusto, my courage, my ability to, to be strong and how can they support me through those really challenging moments? And they did. And it was beautiful. And I'm very proud. It's, it's probably what I'm most proud of in my life. I'm, I'm more proud of my childbirth than I am of my Ironman. Um, so when I'm working with, whether it's individuals or teams or organizations to, to help them be high performing, yeah, you, you, you design what support do you need and then make sure to communicate that and to design that alliance of how that support looks. So you don't leave it to chance or uh, allow somebody to make up what they think it might look like to support you. Um, as a as a husband, asking your wife, "How do you want me to help you with this particular goal?" is something that has helped me a lot avoid sticking my foot in my mouth. <laughs> um, but that term, designing your alliance, um, if if you can tell me where you where that term comes up uh, came from, because I. That term is super powerful in my mind. 
Isn't it cool? I mean, yeah. some people don't like it because it's so like coachy. And so <laughs> there's lots of different ways I think you could think about, right. you know, yeah. communicating your expectations, your ground rules, your group norms, whatever. Those are all the same thing. But to me, you you design it and it is, it's an alliance. And I learned it in my coach training. And so it's all about being able to articulate. Uh, so for instance, when I'm working with, with teams and we design a team alliance, I will ask them, what's the culture or the atmosphere that you want to have on this team? Huh? The really? Well, I've never thought about it before. What will help you to really thrive or flourish on this team? What do you need to succeed on this team? And then the third question I will ask is, how do you want to be together when things get hard, when there's conflict, when there's tension? when things don't go the way you want. Because the one thing that we know that is certain is life is going to present hard things. So if as a team, you are going to just acknowledge that we're gonna let each other down, we're gonna you know, have conflict, there's gonna be tension and normalize it. And then you design your alliance around it, say, oh, when that happens, you know what I wanna do? Instead of pounding out emails back and forth, I'd like it if we could pick up the phone or if you could pop into my office and we could talk about it. So then, you know, you get to the point weeks, months later where you get an email and you feel anger and triggered and you're pounding. Oh, wait, this is tension. We talked about this. I'm not going to pound out a reply or reply all. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to go walk down to their office and say, hey, that seemed really edgy. And I, I noticed that I got kind of defensive when I read it. Can we talk? And of course that you can design in a relationship. It sounds like you've designed maybe whether it's consciously or unconsciously with your wife that you ask good questions instead of giving advice. Kudos, Justin. Uh, it's probably 5% of the time. The other percent of the time, I'm like a regular TEDx speaker. <laughs> I love it. Um, is there a size of team for which this process doesn't work in a formal way, I guess. It no, there's no there's no limit. It's it, it would, it, but the, the the harder part is the 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 bigger the team gets, the more you have to be very intentional on how you design the alliance. So if you've got a team of of three people, that's very different than if you have a team of of thirty people, for mm -hmm. instance. And a lot of times, I I think what what happens, and this isn't negative or bad, but if you have a large team, the leader will come in and say, okay, here's the ground rules. Here's the group norms. Here's how we're going to operate, which is good. They're creating clear expectations. And yet there's no buy-in and there's no like um, collaboration around is that indeed how we can flourish? And I've worked with teams where when I ask them, what is the culture, the atmosphere you want to have? They're like, we want this to feel fun. We want, if we're going to be here working this hard on this startup, we want to have fun and laughter and lightness. I've had other teams who say, we want this to feel efficient. I want to be able to clock out. I got family. I have hobbies. I have other things. So I, I really want, I want us to, and, and there's no right or wrong. So the larger the team, the more intentional you have to be about creating uh, the, the way for that alliance to be designed. So for instance, sending out those questions in advance, 
by email, giving people the time to think about it because some people are internal processors. And if you just ask in the meeting, they, they, they'll have their answers four days from now. So send the questions four days in advance so that when you have it, right, everybody there is ready. And then give them some time individually to reflect on those questions and then to talk with a partner and or a triad. And then take an, a report out from each triad, right? This is just a process in a way that it can be more efficient. So instead of asking 30 people and, oh my God, everybody's exhausted by the time you get to person number 28, you just ask 10 triads. What are the bottom line answers to that? And you capture it and that's an efficient way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, kind of on the flip side, how do you kind of institute maybe a formal process in smaller teams, even relationships, um, or, or, or does it have to be more informal because it's not really a business setting? Meaning if you have a, a, a partner, or a sure, wife, or a, like a, a friend neighbor, or a wife, friend. Or, or even like a two-person business partnership. Yeah. I mean, I think there's both are, are important and necessary. When I say both, meaning a formal conversation, let's design our alliance. Hey, honey, we're getting married. How do we want our marriage to feel? How do we want to be together when you mess up and... <laughs> you know, piss me off, you know, to take time. But then also there are times when you do little mini designed alliances. So you and I, Justin, before mm -hmm. you hit record, you said, Hey, here's, here's how this generally goes. How does that sound for you? Here's yeah, how I'm yeah. going to start. Instead of giving this long, boring introduction, I'm going to jump in and say, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome. And you gave me the chance to react to that and to be ready and to design and, so, so they can happen both formally, but also in the moment. It even could be when you talked about, um, you know, your wife coming and saying, oh, I'm so frustrated, Justin, this happened. You could do a little tiny micro alliance to say, wow, that sounds really hard. Do you want me to just listen right now and support you? Or do you want me to give you some advice and, and, and some options of what I think you should do? Hmm. So it's a concept that you can use spontaneously, organically in the moment or you can design it and make it more formal and structured. Uh, the curiosity that comes to mind is kind of, what do you do with non-cooperative team members? And, and I, I say that to mean, you know, inevitably there's gonna be someone when you bring up the topic, well, well, how do you want to act when we are not acting in accordance with each other? And there's gonna be someone who's gonna say, well, that's never gonna happen. So I don't wanna have this conversation. How, how do you work in situations like that? Yeah, good. So I think the best thing you can do is to be transparent, to be vulnerable, and to be bold and courageous. So what does that mean in that moment, right? Being being transparent and saying, I I'm I can appreciate that you don't think it's gonna happen, and yet um it always happens. What relationship or team have you ever been on where things don't go sideways? Right. right. So that's being vulnerable and transparent to say, I hear you. Yes, I acknowledge that. And yet 
uh, I think it's going to happen. So can I get curious about what's going on here that, that, that this, you know, either, you know, cause a lot of times people don't want to do that or they'll say that because ew, it's uncomfortable to talk about conflict and to plan for it. Yeah, right. So yeah. I just want to get curious what, what would make this activity feel good for you, um, feel safe for you, because there may be an underlying, like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to pretend and say, it's never going to happen. So we don't have to do it, but it's really because this is very uncomfortable to talk about our feelings and what we're going to do when things get hard that's uh that's very insightful and kind of a personal experience from my part uh i know that oftentimes my wife is somewhat reticent to enter into discussion with me because she knows like i said that i have tedx speaker tendencies when she says something i launch into a huge diatribe so i constantly have to much like i am right now i constantly have to pull my back myself back and be like shut up justin let her talk and uh, when, I, when I do that, we do end up being able to have those difficult discussions because she feels more free and, and readily available, you know. Yeah, which is awesome. And, th and that's something that, you know, it sounds like you two have, have navigated that dance well. And if it's challenging, you could design with your wife like, hey, let's have a, a code word or let's have something where if I'm starting to go into TEDx mode, you know, it's just a light, playful way for you to give me a heads up and a, like a warning shot. Like you're going into territory that's going to turn this conversation a direction I'm not really happy to go. That is that is very smart. I might have to uh, talk to my <laughs> wife about that right after this podcast. Yeah, that's um, good. <laughs> slightly switching tacks a little bit. Uh, we've talked about childhood, uh, childbirth without drugs, and how that relates to getting the right people on your team and designing your alliance. Um, tell us about your Ironman. First of all, why did you decide to do an Ironman, and and really, how did you prepare and accomplish it? Yeah. So my first triathlon was in 1998. My girlfriend, Nancy, called me on a Tuesday and said, hey, I think we should do a triathlon on Sunday. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I can't do a triathlon. I've never done a triathlon before. And she's like, no, yeah, you can. You, you, we've done marathons. You, you own a mountain bike. You know how to swim. So that was my first foray into triathlon. And while it was miserable and I sucked and I came in if I, I didn't, I don't even know what place I came in because I was too embarrassed to look, but I'm pretty certain I was, you know, if I wasn't last, I was in the bottom 10%. Right. And yet I was hooked. Like I loved the energy and all these people of different shapes and sizes and fitness levels committing to say, we're going to go do this. We're going to go be healthy and challenge ourselves physically. So fast forward, I did triathlons every year until the point, And I did, you know, sprint triathlon and then Olympic distance and then half Ironman. And then I realized, I think I'm ready. And so in 2004 is when I signed up for the full Ironman. So I started and I incrementally built up my confidence and my skills to be able to then uh, register for the full Ironman. And then I hired a coach, a triathlon coach, and I trained for 55 weeks. Wow. Um, <laughs> I love how you, you tell, uh, you know, a story. And then the shortest part of the story is I trained for 55 weeks. It's kind of like that, uh, the dash <laughs> on tombstones, you know, 2001 to 2099, and that, that little dash is the whole life. Um, <laughs> I am just about to ask you, why did you actually show up to the first triathlon when you could have just stayed home? But listeners, if you want to hear that, you're going to have to come back on Wednesday for our next episode of the Hard Thing Podcast. 
Thank you so much for being here, Darcy. Um, as far as how our audience can reach out to you, how can they connect with you, support you, and see what you're doing? Okay, I love the tease and the, <laughs> like the, there's more to come. Tune yeah. in again. So yay, I hope everybody comes back to hear more. Um, so I my website is DarcyLoma.com and that has my blog and Thoughtfully Fit Thursday videos and all the social media links and all of that. And then I also have a, a quiz, ThoughtfullyFit.com is if you are curious, I've done research over five years, thousands of hours of coaching clients and found there's six hurdles that get in the way of being high performing that quiz is what will give you your biggest hurdle and then some strategies to be able to overcome that hurdle. Wow. I love that. Uh, and then as far as action items for this uh, episode, number one is choose one person and design your alliance with them in a formal fashion. And number two is go to thoughtfullyfit.com, take the quiz and figure out your biggest hurdle. Uh, would you like to add to that list at all? That is fantastic. I love it. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, listeners, for, for coming to the Hard Thing Podcast. Uh, stick around after the show to hear from some of our sponsors, but keep doing hard things and uh, you will overcome average. Hey, guys, one quick announcement for today's show. And you might have heard this already, even in today's episode. But uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys once in a lifetime you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, my guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up <laughs> uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, so look forward to having dinner with you.